Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we meet one of the newest members of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, one of their draft picks from last week, Robbie Lowe's from the University of Regina, planning on being a difference maker on special teams this year. We'll also hear from Ray Kuyanpa, who's written a book called The Everyman Curler. Just a lovely conversation about the game we both love coming up on the podcast. Just over a week ago, last Tuesday, the CFL held its national draft and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers made a number of selections, including Robbie Lowe's, taken fourth round, 34th overall by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And Lowe's happens to join us now on the CJOB Sports Show. Robbie, congratulations on your uh, drafting into the CFL. Thank you. Uh, you know, no place I'd rather be. Uh, you know, great organization, and I was just... Uh... You know, it was truly special to get that call on draft night. But it has to be said, and this will be something that you're probably going to be asked about more than once. You're graduate of the University of Regina. You're from Saskatchewan. How's it going to feel to play for the Blood Rival Bombers? I mean, I think it's you know I, I always said I look good in blue and gold, and you know I was actually born and brown in Manitoba, so um, kind of got those Manitoba roots, and uh, you know it's great fan base there and uh you know i'm just looking to forward to coming back on labor day classic and uh mm. you know hand in hand in home team uh, a loss you know that's what i'm looking forward to going into mosaic all your family and friends and giving them the l oh, that's uh you know that's what i'm looking forward to and you know there's just like i said no place i'd rather be and um, i'm happy to be a blue bomber so you're a linebacker taken uh, in the fourth round. What is your best description of yourself as a football player? Um, I think, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, a hardworking player out there. You see, like, when I pursue to the ball, um, you know, I'm very physical. I got uh, pretty good athleticism and size. Um, I think you're going to see me make an impact on special teams right away. And I think I'm just a Michael Shea type of player. You know, I'm the, the hard-nosed, uh, I don't mind doing the dirty jobs. And um, every time I get a chance to hit somebody, uh, I don't hesitate. Special teams are of great value in this organization for sure, playing for a coach like Mike O'Shea, who uh, you're right, that that sounds definitely right up his alley. So I, 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 I guess it would be made clear to you that, and I guess this is same for most young players coming into the league, that, the expectation is to earn your stripes as a defender in the CFL. You got to play on special teams and make a difference, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think um, you know you, you've heard uh, Coach O'Shea say it in interviews before. Uh, you know, you come in and you make a roster spot on special teams, and then he leaves it to Coach uh, Richie Hall to figure out you know where and when you're playing on defense. But I've always been a big believer that special teams is a massive part of the game, especially. In a three-down game, it's a big field. I mean, you can really flip the field. Um, field position is important. Uh, you know, going into the, the later games in the season, you know, with the season starting later this year for sure, um, field position becomes more important than ever. So I think um, this year especially you're going to see um, special teams kind of shine through and help teams win games. So when did you first get started in football? Take us back to the beginning. Um, I played started playing when I was like eight or nine years old, uh, minor football and, uh, just the whole process. Uh, I played for some great coaches that, 
you know, they inspired me and uh, instilled that love of the game and me growing all the way up. And then I went to a great high school in Michael A. Riffle here in Regina. And um, just the whole way up, I think having, you know, great role models, great coaches, um, you know, it's just, they, you know, I wanted to prove them right. They had high expectations for me and, you know, I wanted to, to prove them right. And I just fell in love with the game. When did it become a goal of yours to play professionally? Um, I think, uh, you know, always it was always something I dreamed about watching the CFL as a kid. But uh, when it started becoming like more of a reality is when I got the opportunity to, to go on the riders practice roster as a territorial, territorial junior protection um, when I played for John Sonder, the CGFL. So I think, you know, practicing around those guys, you know, going through the whole pro lifestyle really showed that I was like, you know, I can reach this level and, and also like be an impact player. So um, that's what I've been working towards. And, you know, every day you just got to wake up and uh, try and get better. Now that experience is one that not everybody gets to, to go through. How integral was that being part of that practice roster with really opening your eyes to see what kind of level you needed to be at to be in this league? It was huge. Um, it, was a, it was a big eye-opener. You know, you see the the people that are really successful in the league. Uh, for example, when I was there, Javon Johnson, who's um, amazing player. And, you know, you see why a guy like that's successful. And then you see also why some of the other guys aren't, aren't as successful. So um, it really, you know, they taught me how to watch film properly. Um, and, you know, how to just uh, treat every day like a pro and how to go about it. Uh, your day, getting things done, how to improve as a player, self-evaluate, um, you know, picking things up on the fly, just the whole pro lifestyle is so different. And to get that experience, uh, I think it's a big, big advantage for me uh, going forward. What's it been like this last year without actually being able to play football games? It's been, it's been weird. Um, I think my body um, probably probably liked it a little bit you know i gotta focus more on you know improving a lot of the smaller things um making sure that uh everything's all healed up you know it's basically been a long off season so um i don't know it's just it's been weird you know not going through like the whole whole game planning for teams you know that's that's kind of what you live for right like in the count west we only get to play eight games a year for sure before playoffs so you know, to have those those days taken away from you, um, it just kind of created a void, and uh, you know, there was nothing to feel it. But if anything, it just made me more passionate uh, um, to play. Now that football is coming back, and you know, I'm just kind of chomping at the bit. Talking with Robbie Lowe's linebacker, defensive back, defender extraordinaire, drafted by the Blue Bombers last week, and just five picks after you, Robbie. You're uh, not only college teammate but your high school teammate yep. Kyle Borsa was selected a running back well, how cool was that to be part of that experience together um he's one of my best friends so I mean we've been going through the whole process together you know training for the combine just training in general through the pandemic and uh we always talked about we would joke about like how cool would it be to end up in the same spot but you never really expect that to happen because you know well what, what are the chances you know, it just, it didn't seem good, but then it happened and I couldn't be happier. I mean, uh, we push each other to become better um, every day when we train together. And uh, I think 
you know, we'll be a good support system for each other going forward, and we can't wait to, uh, to prove ourselves. What's he like as a football player? Um, he's he's fast. He's a, he's a speed guy, so um, he's kind of he's just electric, right? You get the ball in his hands in the open field, and um, you know, it's it's exciting to watch a guy flip the field, make big plays. Um, he's a strong kid. I mean, he's got uh, big biceps. Uh, you know, maybe maybe hitting a little too many arm curls, I'll bug him about. But uh, you know, he's just uh, he's just a game changer. So I think he's uh, he's gonna be a great player. So looking ahead now, I'm I'm guessing you know about as much as we do when it comes to what the plans are for the summer here. Yeah, um, I think the hope is for you know the kind of that first second week of July to start training camp and you know, play early August and that 14 game schedule with the great cup being pushed back into mid December and Hamilton, um, that the CFL talked about, that's kind of, you know, what they released is what we really know. And I think, uh, you know, you, you just can't really predict where things are going to be. So it's, uh, I think there's a lot of things left to get sorted out, but, uh, that's kind of out of my control. And, you know, whatever I need to do to, uh, to play, you know, whether it be um, getting tested um, consistently or, or just doing whatever, you know, I'm, I'm down to do, do do whatever they tell us to do. So in the two months that remain between now and, and then, when we hope that training camps will get going, is it just train, train, train for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's always kind of the mindset I bring, but now it's uh, getting acclimated to the um, – to the Winnipeg training staff programs, you know, I just started that this week. So, you know, just uh, trying to get on that pro pro schedule, um, you know, Zoom meetings with the defense, you know, um, any knowledge I can soak up before camp, um, you know, I'm just trying to improve as a player, football IQ, physically, anyway. Um, you know, I understand that camp's going to be very competitive as it is in every pro camp and, uh, I'm just going to go on in the best shape of my life and uh, compete like I know how. Well, Robbie, appreciate you coming on the show to talk to us tonight. Best of luck uh, going forward. Congratulations again on getting drafted, and we'll uh, hope to see you pretty soon here in Winnipeg. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Can't wait to get down there. You know, go Bombers. There you go. That's Robbie Lowe's drafted by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 34th overall in last Tuesday's draft. Fourth-round pick from the University of Regina. Right now we're going to talk some curling with the author of a book, and i got the book right here in my hand. There's the pages. The Everyman Curler, Oh, the Stories We Could Tell. Ray Kunyanpa joins us now. Kuyanpa. Did I get that right, Kuyanpa? Yeah, good job. Thanks. All right. Perfect, Ray. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. So, first of all, uh, when did you decide you were going to write a book? Right, yeah. So uh, last fall, the uh, project started out being, uh, I'm going to clean the basement. I got nowhere to go. I'm going to clean the basement. And I ran across a couple of boxes of curling stuff, trophies, plaques, crests, that kind of thing. And uh, as I was going through them, a whole bunch of memories came back. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write this down. And uh, after a while, it took the form of a book. And uh, for those unfamiliar, what's uh, give us your curling background and your curling history here in Manitoba. 
Okay, well, I call myself the everyman curler because I'm just like everybody else. Uh, I'm very typical, very ordinary, and a lot of my curling experiences are pretty ordinary as well. I grew up in the small town of Rorkton, Manitoba, and it's like a lot of small prairie towns. Curling was, you know, the big show in town, and so I grew up just loving the game. Um, I always aspired to uh, some of the bigger bigger stuff. Um, you know, I hoped to... to to become a, a champion maybe down the road sometime and play in provincials and world curling tour and all that. So I did some of that, but didn't get quite as far as I'd hoped. And so you you feel the the relatability of, you know, getting close, but you're still in that everyman category. And really, I, I feel like curling amongst all the sports that we kind of view as professional, you know, nowadays there's the Grand Slam and whatnot, but even the highest end curlers most a lot of them still have jobs on the side, and you could just go up to them and say hi, and they, they've got that aura about them. But they just do feel like you know one of us. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, curling is uh, is kind of a unique sport in that way. Uh, so many personable people in the game. Um, it, it's changed a little bit over the last ten or twenty years. There's uh, a bit of separation between some of the elites and and kind of the rest of us. But uh, you're right; most curlers are very approachable. And you're also right that most of us and, and most of them still need to go back to work on Monday morning. And so, uh, what kind of stories do you tell in this book when you say, "Oh, the stories we could tell"? Right. So, if you know curlers. Uh, every curler has stories, and lots of stories. <laughs> and so uh, I've tried to include a few stories that might be entertaining and, um, and, uh, and you can put in, tr- in print, because there's some you can't put in print. Um, and uh, so I, I had a lot of fun with that, and, and part of the fun has been getting feedback from people who have read the book and have told me some of their own stories, and, and that's, been, that's been just great. Yeah, the book came out a couple months ago. What's been the feedback so far? Yeah, like I, like I was saying, uh, a lot of a lot of curlers find it very relatable, and uh, had a lot of fun reading it because of uh, the funny stories, funny situations that come up, and uh, you know the fact that uh, many of us have gotten to a final and lost it, as opposed to getting to a final and winning it. So, what are some of the the lessons you've taken away from curling in your time in the game? Well, I think. Uh, uh, one thread that kind of goes through the whole book is uh, is the experience of curling, sort of the joy of curling, uh, what you get out of it. Um, you know, why why do we get in a car when it's 40 below and go to the rink? Well, it's it's there's something about it, right? And uh, a lot of it, I think, is that it's just a, a mood altering experience. It's so much fun. It's thrilling to win a game. It hurts a bit to lose one, but then there's a the camaraderie as well. Well, yeah, win or lose, you still go get a drink after, right? Right, it's part of the game, for sure. Absolutely, and uh, speaking for, I think, many people, that's, that's been something that we definitely have missed over the past uh, year or so since the pandemic started up, is can't really, you can't really have that camaraderie at curling clubs. That's right. <clears throat> so I think I'm, I'm not alone in, in uh, missing the, the past curling season, and, uh, you know, I think we may be underestimated how much um, you know the the friendships and the camaraderie is a part of the game and almost just as important as the games themselves. Absolutely. So, can, can is every curler an everyman curler? What does it take to be an everyman curler? Oh well, 
You know, I've got a little bit of a checklist here, so you can follow okay. with me if you want here. Okay. So if you've ever driven through a weather advisory to get to a curling rink, you might be an everyman curler. So that's one. There's, okay. If you know exactly what it feels like to wake up the morning after a fun spiel, then you're <laughs> probably an everyman curler. And here's one that a lot of people can relate to. If you've ever taken a sick day at work, but you still made it to your club game that evening, you're definitely an everyman curler. Love that, yeah. I, I, I'll admit, I since I started doing the show a couple years ago, I have I had to stop curling because because uh, I was in a five thirty p.m. league and my show was on the air at, at six thirty, so I couldn't really fit that in. I miss it a lot, and I have to. I was going to find a, a weekend league this year, and then everything got shut down. So I, right. I definitely I definitely miss that because it is a good workout, but at the same time. It's it's fun, right? It's, yeah. You get yeah. this. It depends. You know, I was I was skipping at that league, and I didn't. I'm not good at curling, <laughs> so I needed to not be skipping anymore. I needed to start sweeping, just uh, doing that. So, uh, what position were you mostly? Uh, I, I spent most of my uh, career at uh, at skip. I was uh, at the age of ten, the most enthusiastic ten year old curler you ever saw. So, my hand shot up first, and that's why I got to be the skip. And so I ended up doing that most of my life, but I did play third quite often as well. Fair enough. Okay, so how has uh, the game changed in your eyes from when you started out to where it is now? Or is it is it just too many things to list? <laughs> well, uh, I guess the biggest change is, uh, I mean, there's some of the obvious things that, that people talk about on, on the broadcasts, on TV and so on, is the, the changes with the rocks and the ice and, and uh, you know, the skill level of the players and so on. I think the biggest change is the um, the accessibility for the everyman curler to sort of um, join in on the fringes of the big leagues. So it wasn't too long ago you could enter an MCA bond spiel and, and play a world champion or, or enter a cash bond spiel somewhere in Manitoba and, and play, you know, a world champion. It, it was something that happened pretty often and probably a lot less often now. Well, I remember once that uh, I curled at the, the Thistle here in Winnipeg, and I went upstairs after one of our matches, and Colin Hodgson was just sitting up there, just Great. watching uh, watching a game. And uh, I've met him a few times on uh, over the last couple of years when I went to the Briar in Brandon. It was, uh, you know, there. I've got a lot of stories from at the Briar in Brandon because you go to the patch, and guess what? They're yeah. all there too, and so yeah. you get to to join in on the fun there. So, uh, just I want your thoughts, Ray, as a curling fan. On the on the curling bubble that we just saw uh, over the last couple months, and really, what a success story that was to have so many events in there. There was that the COVID uh, amongst the broadcasters in the final event, but most most from start to finish, it was just a, an incredible success story. Yeah, it sure was. It was great to see live curling on on TV again. Uh, sure missed it all winter long. You know, you, you don't realize it, but I also really missed the fans. Uh, what a difference it makes not having fans there. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, I, I think some of the players there uh, clearly miss the fans as well. You know, I th- it's uh, uh, you know curlers thrive off the energy of the of the crowd and the spectators and the reactions of the crowd. So that part was missing, but uh, the rest of it was great. You know, to see it live and everything again. And the fact that Canada didn't medal is that a is that a big deal, or should we start to worry that other countries are getting too good? Well, I don't think it w- it should be surprising. Um, you know, uh, since it became an Olympic sport, um, there's so many countries that are putting an awful lot of work into it. And most of these teams, you got to remember, are touring. And, 
in uh, Canada through most of the winter and have Canadian coaches. You know, when I was still playing actively, uh, we, we played, you know, touring American or Swiss teams, Chinese teams quite often. I'm curious for your thoughts on this too. I, I'm I'm a big believer of this, that one of the big reasons why curling is so popular here in Manitoba is because it helps us deal with our, our winters. Do you, do you agree? <laughs> I agree. I agree. That's that's how we became the Silicon Valley of curling. It's because we got nothing else to do in the winter. <laughs> it sure helps, doesn't it? Yeah. We, you know, our, our rink here in our small town of Workton, uh, we, we lost our, our plant uh, a couple years back, and uh, so we didn't have curling for a few winters, and it just, it was devastating. So once we got it going again, it was just amazing to see, uh, you know, the joy in people's faces to be able to come back to the rink again. Well, in small towns, right, it, it can be the lifeblood of, of rural places, right? It's, a, it's kind of the winter social club. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not just the curling, it's the it's the banquets, the pierogies and holubchi and all the rest of the socializing thing make me hungry all right so ray <laughs> if uh, people want to get their hands on a copy of this book where can they go uh best place is amazon.ca it's uh it's available in kindle or paperback edition at uh, amazon.ca well ray appreciate your time on this tonight thank you very much and uh, best of luck with the book and everything else going forward thank you very much that is ray kuyanpa the book is the everyman curler Oh, the stories we could tell with a forward by our friend Resby Coots. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the